Hey everyone, and welcome to season two of our podcast, Woman Unplugged. A new year has begun, it is 2020, and I am excited because we have a whole new set of fresh topics, amazing guests, and exciting things that we want to share with you throughout the next weeks and months to come. So I hope you're excited, I hope that you are ready, because I'm curious and excited to see what God has in store, and what we can learn together as the women and the men that we were created to be. For all our friends that have been part of this journey from the beginning, Thank you so much for sticking it through. And for anybody who's new, welcome. We are so excited that you're here. I hope you're ready. Let's do this. podcast episode is called The Good Place and The Door. Usually when you start a new season, series, a new year, it's common, I would say, to talk about life, vision, goals, next steps, and rightfully so, right? A man without a vision perishes. We need purpose. We need something to look forward to when something comes to an end and something new begins. But I would like to tackle this new season and the new year that we are over a month into by now in a different way. Now, quick little disclaimer, spoiler alert, this episode contains a few spoiler alerts to the show The Good Place. Not sure if you've heard of it or seen it. I personally watched it all the way through, and there are quite a few references I'll be making in this episode about said show, The Good Place. So if you have not seen it or you're in the middle of it, please beware that there will be some spoiler alerts. But let's dive right in. The Good Place and The Door. You know, Death is everywhere, people, right? People are dying left and right. It's in the news, on social media, and in our television shows. Series like The Good Place are dealing or trying to deal with death and the afterlife. People are sharing affectionate posts with their loved ones because they realize they don't know how long everyone will be around. The fact that people are dying isn't new at all. It's been happening since the beginning of what we know, and it still does. Every day, every minute, every second of the day. Yet somehow, and this perhaps due to the fast spread of information via social media and the news, somehow death seems to be more prevalent in the minds of all of us. For me personally, I see death everywhere lately. And while I'm theoretically aware that it's always happening, it has been more on my mind lately. I don't know about you, but I guess similar to when you're pregnant and now you notice all the pregnant women in your circle of friends, or you're on a diet and now your mind focuses on all the diet posts and the health programs, right? In the same sense, it seems that the posts about someone dying stand out to me more lately. Can anybody relate to that? Um, Kobe Bryant, for example, and his 13-year-old daughter, Gianna, a tragic, horrible helicopter accident and several other people a helicopter pilot a coach a mother and her daughter another coach with his wife and his daughter all these precious people they lost their lives there was a major fire on highway i-87 here in atlanta just a few days ago leaving two people dead 
30-year-old woman and a man in his 40s. A young couple's baby boy passed away, a young couple that I now follow on Instagram. Another friend's father passed away. It doesn't seem fair. People are, are passing away left and right, leaving family and friends behind in a lot of pain. The list goes on and on. Death is everywhere. And it's really something that we should deal with and talk about because it's coming for all of us. Now, it's uncomfortable, I know. Like I said, we want to start a new year and a new season talking about life and goals and vision. But let's be honest. What if this was my last podcast episode? I don't know when it's time for me to go. You don't know when it's time for you to go. And I think sometimes we dismiss it because it's uncomfortable and it's scary and therefore do not deal with it. And then are almost forced, not almost, literally forced to deal with it when someone close to us passes away and we are left with anxiety, we're left with pain and grief, and quite frankly, it triggers a lot of existential anxiety in many of us. The Good Place, the TV show The Good Place, while it's funny and quite interesting in regards to morals, ethics, and philosophy, it still didn't get it right. Theologically, and and even philosophically, it got it quite wrong, actually. For one, the conclusions of creating a new point system for people to be able to earn their way into what they called the good place, aka heaven, that conclusion uh, that you have to create a new point system that leads us to believe that it is indeed possible to earn enough points to get to heaven, to earn your way into being good enough. But even mathematically speaking, there would be a constant struggle between addition and subtraction, right? Because who is to say that giving someone a cup of water, for example, is indeed worth three points and not genuinely meaning what you say is, let's say, a negative two, right? It's this ping pong of plus and minus. And what about sins of omission, the things you were supposed to do that you didn't do? Or how often do we need to be recycled until we can finally measure up, until we become good enough. It's this constant ping pong of plus three points, minus two. Furthermore, being good or bad isn't just a matter of our actions and words, but also our intentions. And the show, The Good Place, does express that doing good with selfish intent isn't really good. They do recognize that if you just do something kind for someone else, so that you can say you did something kind or because you're trying to earn points, it's not really genuine and from your heart. And they do acknowledge that in the show, it's not truly real goodness. But how can we measure integrity, right? How many points does a genuinely kind heart get? And how do you measure that, right? How many percent of your heart needs to be selfless in your act of kindness for it to really count towards 10, 15, 20 points? Let's suppose the non-human beings, right, were doing the measuring. In the show The Good Place, it was non-human beings, like demons and other beings, that were doing the measuring and scaling. They were the architects, so to speak. They were the people who would determine and figure out a way how to make these people have to pass tests to become better and better and better. Almost like a recycling process, if you will. But... The problem is that they too, these creatures, are just that. 
creation, creatures, not the creator. So they're not all powerful. They're not all knowing. Many of them were demons, demons who had evil intent to torture. So how could what had been created itself be a good judge of what the rest of creation should really be like in order to be good enough? Does that make sense? How can a demon who was at his core evil with a desire to torture have enough morale to create a point system and a test that would help the human be measured in a way that he or she could become good enough at some point. The idea that everyone had to go through afterlife after afterlife until they improved is also really exhausting and quite honestly hopeless. Of course, people would rather like to believe that they can do whatever they want down here on earth and work on improving in heaven. But doesn't that contradict the idea of the good place show that we need death to appreciate life? If we can just do better after life and there's no element of pressure down here, doesn't that take away from wanting to do good down here and wanting to get it right? The judge in the TV show, The Good Place, was quite human herself. She was impressed by mortal man into TV shows and country boys, not powerful enough to immediately find the device that she was looking for to destroy the world. If our true judge, God Almighty, is that human and manlike, we are all royally screwed. And lastly, the concept of that show basically was that it would be boring if people could have and do whatever they wanted for eternity. But even that concept is limited because while it does take darkness for us to appreciate light, it does take death for us to appreciate life. And in the same sense, a vacation is only a vacation because it comes to an end and we go back to work. But that understanding, the the idea that we assume that's what heaven would be like is limited because we are perceiving immorality with our mortal minds. We are trying to grasp eternity with our finite minds. So to think that it would get boring if I could do all these wonderful things For an unlimited time, they would grow old and therefore I need to be able to have a door I can go through to be absolved into the universe again is limited because I'm still assuming heaven is going to be like mankind thinks. I'm still thinking in a man-made way. And of course, heaven, a heaven where you can go and do and have whatever you want, whenever you want it, Of course, it would become boring after a long time because there's nothing left to do, so we think with our limited mind. But that's only because we know time and space and nothing beyond. We basically see things in a one-dimensional way. The good place's solution was to have that door, like I said, where you could go into or through that door and basically be like a wave that goes back to the ocean. You basically go back to where you came from and you become one again with the universe. But even that is a very human concept. Of course, as as humans, we need to have a choice for things to end so we can appreciate them while they last. That does make sense. We need death to enjoy life, like I said, to know that things won't last forever. But when it's time to go and meet our maker, the one who made time and space, who says we're going to be thinking the way humans think? Who says we will still be overwhelmed by the concept of something never ending? 
Who says we will need limitations to appreciate the unlimited? Most importantly, faith is only faith if it has an object, right? We don't just hope in hope. We have hope in something or someone. We have faith in someone. And when we go back home, we will be in the presence of the maker of the universe, almighty God, a creator, the creator of all things. He will be our objective and the, uh, the object of our hope, of our faith, of our worship. Heaven isn't just some void where we have some divine Alexa, if you will, catering to our every beck and call. We will be at peace, which I know is what we all long for, just like the good place expressed. We will be at peace in the presence and in the essence of the one whose blueprint we carry. We were made in the image of God. God is our blueprint and we will be fully in his presence. It will be something that no eye has ever seen, nor ear has ever heard, and no human mind has ever conceived. Something that is prepared for those who love God. We can read about that in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. Everything in the TV show, The Good Place, was made up of things that people's minds had seen. Things they had heard of or imagined, right? It was created by and for man. It was all very earthly desires. But just wait until we get to see what God has in store. It's beyond anything we could have ever imagined. So you see, the conclusions drawn in that TV show break down at some point. The system, the points, the door, it all breaks down. But what if I told you there is another way? Part of me wishes that I could have been on that TV show, and I know it's just a TV show, and made a new suggestion, said, you know what? There is a way to save mankind. There is a way that the judge doesn't have to press the button and completely destroy humanity because the point system of trying to get a place in the good place is too difficult. There is a way. What if there was a human good enough, so good in fact, that he could go to the bad place on behalf of all of humanity? A person so good that he could step into the place of all mankind to be tortured and suffer in everyone's stead so they can go to the good place? What if he was the door to eternal peace that everyone longed to go through eventually? Heaven and hell is a very uncomfortable and widely debated topic. A topic that many people have questions for and very limited answers I've had many answers too. One thing I do believe is that if the truth I choose to stand on is the Bible, and I look to that Bible for answers, and I look to Jesus, who I believe is the answer, then I can see that Jesus himself taught more about hell than he did about heaven. And he didn't only reference hell, he described it in detail. Therefore, it is a subject I should take serious. Dear uh, Pastor Rodney Friend told me a long time ago when we were talking about heaven and hell that he read following. Basically, hell was God responding to a person that didn't want to have anything to do with him. Basically saying, okay. He can't force us into a relationship with him. And we do have a choice to either say yes or no. Saying no means being separated from God. Not being where he is. That is hell. And some people, including myself at times, argue that a lifetime of sin doesn't warrant an eternity of damnation. Isn't that unfair? Is that, isn't that a little bit much? 
Isn't it unfair to basically force someone into a relationship by making them follow you, lest they be damned for eternity? And while I believe God is so much greater than the limited dimension we live in and the things that we perceive, let me reference, let me use human logic to address this struggle, right? This debate about how that can't be fair to have an eternity in hell for a lifetime of sin. If you want to be in a relationship with someone, but they decline your your offer, your attempts, and they turn you down, would it be unfair of you to step away, to accept their response, and to say, okay, isn't separation, so not being together, the natural logical effect of separating? Can I really tell someone that I don't want to be with? I don't want to be with you, but I want to be with you. I want to be where you are. If I don't want to be with God who made all things and who is everywhere, wouldn't the logical consequence be that I will then be where he is not? If I deny him, if I say, no, I don't want to have nothing to do with you, I'm going to have to be where he is not. But if God is everywhere and if he made everything and if he is love, then where he is not is the absence of love. His absence would mean hell. If he is love and he is holy and he is good, naturally his absence would mean all things unholy, vile, evil, and absent of love. Romans 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm hoping we can all agree that there needs to be a consequence for things. If someone kills another person, he needs to be punished. He cannot go walking around free when he ended the life and the freedom of someone else. Sin leads to death. Our choices have consequences, and we have all sinned in one way or another. But God is offering a free gift. It is free. Jesus dying in our stead came at no cost to us, but it cost him everything. So imagine you went to a store and tried shoplifting, and you were caught in the act. And the shop owner paid the fine it cost for you not to have to go to jail and then gave you the item you needed for free. Wouldn't you take it? If he paid so you didn't have to, would you accept it? Some have the audacity to say God is forcing us into a relationship with him. Well, for one, God is God. He can't be comprehended with our human mind and he has the right to do whatever he wants. So sometimes it's also a matter of us humbling ourselves, having some fear of God and remembering who the creation versus the creator is. But also, how can we claim God is forcing us into something if he gave us a free gift to spare us from having to suffer, from having to suffer what we got ourselves into? He spared you from having to suffer what you got yourself into. The sinful life we live, the bad choices we make, the wickedness of our heart, And you might say, well, I didn't kill anyone. I don't steal. I try not to lie. We all have sinned and have fallen short of the perfection and the holiness and the glory of God. There's pride in our hearts. There's jealousy, envy, bitterness, gossip. It goes on and on and on. Instead of wages of sin, God offers us a free gift. Instead of death, he offers us life. So keep those two main things in mind. Number one, When you tell someone you don't want to be with them, the natural consequence is that you won't be with them. And God's absence means the opposite of his presence. So instead of love, there is the absence of love, emptiness, hate, 
Instead of goodness, there is evil and wickedness. Instead of holiness and wholeness, there's misery. That's hell. And here's the thing. When you have experienced a little bit of God's love and His presence, the idea of being in a place where there is absolutely none of that is terrifying. Because the fact of the matter is that even though we live in a crazy evil world, and when we put on the news and we look through social media, it is so incredibly discouraging that we could just, you know, blow the whole place up. But the thing is that God's presence is still very much here, right? Even in the midst of mankind's evilness and wickedness, right? People neglecting the, the, the planet, people hurting themselves, people hurting each other, so much death and hate and, 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 and misery. And even in the midst of mankind's craziness, God is still moving. God is still trying to speak to people. God is still loving on people and trying to do miracles and trying to change a person's mind and speaking to them, trying to keep them from doing whatever evil that they're considering doing. He's still very much around. Imagine if he's not present anymore. Imagine if he takes himself out of the picture and says, all right, you said you don't want me in your life. I'm going to remove myself. That's horrible. So number one, we have a choice. If we say no to him, he will remove himself and with him all the things that are good and beautiful because that's who he is. And number two, he did give us a gift though. He's still standing there, even though oftentimes we push him away and he's saying, hey, I do have a free gift for you. Your life comes with consequences. You saying no to me and me removing myself comes with my absence and all the good things I have in store for you. But I'm stretching out my hand and I'm still giving you a free gift. I still have a gift for you. If you would just accept it, it's free. That's the thing. Instead of the payment that we actually owe, he's giving us a free gift. Instead of the death that we are headed towards, he's offering us life. That, my friends, is a message of great hope in a world where everybody's dying and in a world where you're going to be dying. You have to deal with that before it's too late. So now what? I don't have all the answers about death and the afterlife, but I do believe that there is more. If there is nothing after this, then all of this is pointless and depressing. There is no hope. Then there's no point in trying to be good. There's no point in trying to be different. I mean, we're just all screwed. But if there is more, then it is important that we find out what it is so we can be ready. Many religions teach different things, right? The key difference is that they all teach, usually they all teach some version of, of self-redemption in which you, the limited mortal, mind you, the person have to become good enough to achieve heaven or free of your ego to to achieve some type of level of peace, nirvana. You have to be holy enough to enter into eternity. There's always something you're supposed to, to do, right? Something you're supposed to earn. Only in Jesus, though, is there a God who reverses that process, comes down to us, taking the curse on himself, faces death on our behalf, and opens the door to eternal life where he says, I paid the price. You don't have to earn this. I'm going to give it to you for free. And that, my friends, is often the stumbling block because that seems too good to be true. Nothing is free in life, people think, right? How am I supposed to believe that eternity can be mine for free? It wasn't free, actually. It cost him everything. But that is love. 
Someone might die for a good or a righteous person even, the Bible says. But for wicked people, who would want to die for them? Who would want to lay their own life down? But that's exactly what God did. When we were still sinners and we didn't know God, He died for us. Think about that. Think about that for a little bit. When we didn't deserve anything, when we were still sinners and dead in our sins, Jesus died for us. He paid the price. It did cost. It cost him everything. And now the gift for you is free. And all you have to do is receive it. Why is this so important? Why do we need to talk about this? Why would I want to start a new year and a new season with this heavy topic instead of happiness, goals, vision, and joy? Because you are going to die. This might be the last podcast episode you listen to. It's coming. And I beg you, please be ready. You can't chance eternity. Not when your soul is at stake. May those who have ears hear. Jesus made the way. He is the door. Death, scientifically, I guess, would be defined as the cessation of biological life, where we stop breathing, our heart stops, and we are no longer a viable biological being. But I don't think of death necessarily as... That's part of it, but that's not the whole of death. Death is a is a transitional time in life that has come upon us because we failed God in the person of Adam and Eve, our representatives, and of course that was part of the, the curse that came upon all of us, plants, animals, humans, but that is the definition of death where life stops. But when I think, I think of death, I think of um, going to a different location. I'm, I'm not really ever lose my existence. I'm alive. You may not see me um, if I'm dead, but I'm, I never stopped living. Uh, my soul never stopped living. My body did, but we're, we're soulish, we're spiritual part of us as well, as you know. And that doesn't cease just because my heart doesn't want to beat anymore or I don't breathe air. So I look at it more as a change of location. I'm I'm changing from where I've known this earthly existence to where I don't know, but I've heard about. I want to go there. I plan to go there. But it's still not just a location. It's a change of location to be with a different person. Primarily. Here I'm with my family, I'm with my friends, I'm with my wife, but when I go to eternity, there may be some of them there that have preceded me as well. But primarily I'm changing to a position where I'm with the Lord Jesus. And that requires me to change location. For example, if I wanted to go see you, I have to leave Michigan, I have to go to Georgia. Why? You're not in Michigan, you're in Georgia. And to do that, I would have to get up and move somehow. Death is just, it's as if I'm in two rooms. This is this room is this life. And I know that Jesus is in the room next to me. And we've been communicating all in my life. But he's like called me and said, Hey, Rodney, come over here. I want to see you face to face. 
but to get there, I, there is a door I have to go through to leave this room to get to that room where he is. And to me, that's what death is. Death is just passing through a doorway that takes me into a newer relationship with Jesus. He's still my Lord, but I, I'm with him face to face where I can't be right now. I can talk to him through the spirit. I can talk to him through prayer like I'm talking to you now. But I can't. I can't um, face to face talk to you right. unless I'm where you are. And death is, uh, to me, is that getting up and walking through the door wow. to go to be where um, Jesus is. I don't stop living. I just change rooms. There's nothing painful about walking through a door into another room. There's nothing scary about it if I know who's on the other side waiting for me. Someone who's waiting to see me as much as I've been wanting to see him. It's just, it takes the sting out of death, the Bible says. It takes the fear out of it, the pain. Of course, the sad part of death for all of us is we leave the relationships we've known in this room. But I still love them. I'm still, we we always, it's as if we, I traveled to Germany. My family in America I don't see, mm-hmm. but our relationship still remains the same. That's what death is to me. So therefore I don't, I don't fear, fear what I, because I know what's on the other side of the door. It's Jesus. Thank you for tuning in, friends. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Feel free to leave a review, share it with your friends, or reach out to me and get in touch. Have a blessed day. And until next time.